welcome to the Enneagram One Project Podcast with your host, Dominic Vandal, where ones come to learn mindset tools and embodiment techniques to reduce frustrations, quiet their inner critic, and live a most expansive life. If you're ready to make your unique oneness your superpower, then this is the show for you. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Enneagram One Project Podcast, Episode 22, What to Know Before Typing Your Friends. Whether you are new to the Enneagram or not, I'm guessing you've been tempted at some point or other to type those around you. Looking at them, you might think, yep, they must be this or that number because they're doing this thing right now. It is so tempting because this is such an in-depth self-awareness tool. The question is, should you type those around you? In today's episode, we'll go over the pros and cons, and you can decide what you want to do. As usual, I do not think that there is a correct answer, but there are aspects of human behavior and motivation, to name a few, that are good to know before you try to type anyone. And do I have an idea? Yes, of course I do. But it's my idea and it does not mean that it has to be your opinion. I do encourage you to have a listen, even if you have zero plans on typing others, because interspersed in this episode are common mistakes that we make when typing. And that could include how you typed yourself. There are a few considerations that you should be aware of regarding the Enneagram before you start typing everyone you know. Consideration number one, the Enneagram is an amazing tool to help you better understand yourself so that you may return to self, meaning the self that's under all the conditioning and the cultural expectations. It shows you the conditioning that is so, so close to you that you might not even be aware that it's there. The Enneagram is about the programming that's in your brain that drives you to behave certain ways. This is so important because the Enneagram is not at all about your behavior. Every number in the Enneagram can exhibit perfectionist behaviors. The behaviors themselves, procrastinating, self-criticism, Avoiding situations where you might fail, rehashing past experiences you judged yourself as coming short of your expectations are not reserved for Enneagram type ones. It's about the motivation that drives the action, your core motivation, as described in the nine points of the Enneagram, will be the fuel for the behavior. That means what's going on inside your mind, inside your head, the thoughts and the beliefs. And sometimes, most of the time, it happens so fast that you may not even be aware of those thoughts and beliefs. That means that it's impossible to tell someone's type unless you know their inner working, deepest thoughts and fears. For instance, a type one's core fear is to be seen as bad. This aversion will lead to certain behaviors, whereas an eight 
will be driven by its desire to go towards strength as opposed to weakness. Let's get more specific here. If a one believes that they did not meet their standards, they might criticize themselves and an eight might do the same, but not because they didn't meet the standards, their standards, but because they believed they showed weakness. Outwardly, you would see the exact same behavior or hear very similar self-talk, but the fuel is completely different. Let's take that a step further. As Enneagram type ones, we don't always agree on what makes a good person and what makes a bad person. That part is based on each person's upbringing and the way they categorize good versus bad. Not all ones are the same. In fact, if they think weakness is a sign of a bad person, then you might easily think they're an eight. Because remember, the eight moves away from what shows weakness. So again, every point or number in the Enneagram can exhibit perfectionistic behaviors. That does not make them ones. Furthermore, you may or may not agree with the label of who is good and who is bad based on your own culture background and all of that. So you might not see that that is the driving force behind someone's behavior. All you can see, unless you are a trained typist or trained to do this work, um, such as a life coach, without having your own filters, the only thing you can see is the outside behavior of a person. Consideration number two, I want you to think about the behaviors of close family and friends. What stands out for you? Are they moments where the person was particularly upset or happy? Or are they the everyday moments? For me, what tends to stand out the most are the moments of extremes, not usually the everyday stuff. Depends on who I'm thinking about, but generally speaking. So the behavior you're seeing and even the explanations that your friend, your family member might give you for the behavior may not be a representation of their type, but rather of their stress point or their expansion point. Remember, for type ones, we go towards four when stressed and towards seven when in expansion. And let's be honest, it's not always easy to really, and I mean really know when someone else is stressed or in expansion. Someone who would meet me today would likely not pick up on all of my oneness. And likewise, the people I met in my most stressed out moments would not have seen any of my oneness. They probably would have seen a lot more of the four characteristics. I also want to point out that depending on how or when you did your own typing, you might have mistyped yourself because of this. I think when we start our journey, we aren't always very self-aware and may not recognize that we are currently holding tension and accumulated stress. Were you perhaps a four in growth and in expansion? And that's why you showed or were having more of those positive one qualities and resonated more with those when you read the one description. 
Were you perhaps a seven in stress? And that's why you showed the more unhealthy one qualities and highly identified with the one archetype. I, I don't mean to make you doubt your own assessment or that of a test that you may have taken. What I do want to point out is that unless you are self-aware, it can be complicated to type yourself. And I believe it's really difficult to type someone else without being trained or without being in their head. Just to go back a moment, even if it's the everyday things that you remember, that you recall about a person's behavior, I stress that you still don't necessarily know if they are living with some sort of humming underlying stress or not, or if they are in their expansion. Many of us don't know that about ourselves. Consideration number three. This reason relates very much to point one, but I think it needs to be highlighted and be its own consideration. I think we all need to be really, really honest as to why we want to type other people. What do you believe typing someone will do for you? Are you hoping to avoid conflicts? If so, why? Are you wanting to change things about yourself so they like you more? And if so, why? Are you wanting to provide a safe place and safe space for them to be themselves? There are no right or wrong answers. Just be on to yourself and your motivations. The reason I mention this is because the Enneagram is not meant to be a tool for you to micromanage yourself around others. It's a tool for each of us to be more present. And if you are micromanaging you, then you are not being present. You are not being more of your true self. You are trying to hide it even more with what you think will work best for someone else and for others. And this tool is also not to manage others. Both have a flavor of manipulation. And for what? If you were present and trusted yourself to be your favorite expression and you trusted yourself to be your own best friend no matter the outcome with others, would you still want to or need to type others? So be honest. What's your agenda for wanting to type someone else? More importantly, are they asking you to type them? Is this information that they want? If you are able to hold back your own agenda and are typing someone to truly, truly understand them better and hold loving space for who they are, and the Enneagram helps you to do that, then that could be a very, very good reason to type. Remember some of the considerations that I've mentioned in this episode so that you don't fall for the common traps, especially basing their type on their behavior. To give you an example, in our family, knowing that my oldest is a type one, which by the way, we did not actually type him. He was typed by someone else. And it won't go into that without his consent. But anyway, knowing that he's a one has helped us to better understand what he doesn't have the language to express yet. 
it's been really helpful for my spouse, who is not a one, to take a step back and understand our son better with less judgment, not more. It's helped me to feel more confident that I always did understand a lot, not all, but a lot of his inner workings and inner conflicts. As a type one myself, right? I so get it. And I also know that even though he's a one and I'm a one, we are not exactly the same. I have a bonus consideration because I thought about this just before doing the podcast. So I'm adding it here. Consideration number four. I won't spend too much time on this, but conditioning runs deep. As a general guide, we are taught to hide our emotions, not listen to our body, and focus on the higher intelligence of the mind. That results in humans who are disconnected from their bodies, stay in the headspace where they spin out and avoid the heart. So who are you under that conditioning? How do you start to really see your patterns? If you look at the Enneagram system, it has nine points. Those are the types. And it has three centers of intelligence. Those centers are the instinctive center, the feeling center, and the thinking center. Sometimes they'll be under different names a little bit, but that's the, the general gist of it. Whatever center your type belongs to highlights your unique strength but also weakness. As a point of reference, types two, three, and four are in the feeling center. Types five, six, and seven are in the thinking center. And types eight, nine, and one are in the instinctive center. Each of the groupings have an unconscious emotional response when not in presence. That looks like anger for the instinctive center. That's us ones. Shame for the feelings center, in fear for the thinking center. The issue when you're trying to type someone, even yourself, is that we all, as humans, feel these feelings some of the time. Anger, shame, fear. I have certainly felt all three. We don't often tell others that we are experiencing these feelings or that they are the driving force behind our actions. And honestly, I can see parts of myself and parts of my conditioning in each of the points. What I mean by this is that we are already conditioned to not really show any of these three feelings, anger, shame, and fear. And so there's all that layering of conditioning that you want to have a sense of before being able to type. And it's so easy for any of us to exhibit behaviors of any of the types. So again, it goes back to behavior, which I think is the number one way that we try to type other people. And it's the exact way we shouldn't be typing people. So how did I know I was a one? It was a gut reaction to descriptions that I was reading. It was all the things I had never told anyone my little secret way of thinking about things before acting. It's like I was stripped, bare, fully exposed, and finally seen without that filter. 
finally not needing a filter because someone had found me out. I'm not always good. I mean, I am intrinsically good. I know this now. But some of my behavior sometimes would fall in the category of what I would consider not so good. If, you know, sometimes maybe even cheeky, not to use other words. Honestly, it was liberating. I could start to accept myself and not keep trying to change myself because I was never broken. So should you type those around you? I leave it up to you to decide. I've personally passed some books on over to my friends for them to embark on their own journey when interested. Again, it's up to you. I just hope that you'll remember the considerations that I've laid out for you in this episode when you are tempted to type so that you can do it with as much curiosity as possible and with as little judgment as possible. That's it for today. Until next time, love to each and every one. Thank you so much for listening to the Enneagram One Project Podcast, your go-to podcast for all things one. If you were inspired by today's topic and would like to make a project or goal for yourself that revolves around it, I'd love to support you in my coaching program. We'll use this project to help you become fierce at making decisions you love. It's a win-win. You'll reach your goals with more efficiency and become super solid in how you make decisions resulting in a quieter inner critic and more self-trust. For more information, head over to my website, dominicvandal.com. That's D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-V-A-N-D-A-L.com. Look at the top of the page for the Work With Me tab. I can't wait to meet you.